Hello, my name is James Court and I'd like to welcome you to the Your Voice 2 podcast, a community heritage project between the charity Motivate and the collaborative arts organisation Project Caboodle. Thanks to the National Lottery players, this podcast has been made possible with a grant from Heritage Lottery Fund and Arts Council England. Your Voice 2 aims to give a voice to young people and provide new experiences and tools that develop transferable job skills whilst working on a unique heritage project that contributes to the community. Over 2022, a creative team has been delivering 12 workshops to young people to increase heritage values and employability skills, whilst connecting the young people with the elderly members of the community. These workshops helped the young people to develop a list of interview questions to interview themselves about their life experiences, as well as to interview members of the elderly public with questions relating to the Queen's Jubilee and the Falklands War. Following these interviews, six artists will be doing artist residencies at Artspace Portsmouth. The artists will be making new work that responds to the interviews. Now, let's get to those interviews. We will begin with the interviews the young people gave to themselves. Firstly, with Joanna interviewing Abigail. Um, hi, I'm Abigail. I'm 12 and I live in Hilsey. Um, is there anything you'd like doing? Pretty much anything now, but when I was younger, I used to really like reading Harry Potter. How long were the books in Harry Potter? They're about 500 pages each. I used to read them in like a, in like a week, but now I can read them in, in 20 minutes flat. That's good. Um... <laughs> What do you like writing then? Uh, I just write random stories about school and just random things that pop in my head. So kind of just like taking out whatever's in your brain and putting it yeah. on paper. That's uh, good. Yeah. Um, do you have any other interests other than those? Uh, not really. I'm quite a boring person. <laughs> so hatred is a big thing, big thing for you. Yeah. Because for me, I have social anxiety and find it hard to do things, like talk um, in front of people. And people at my school tease me because of that, and I found, and I found it hard. Mm. I, I couldn't go into school because of it. Like, I, it, most of the days I cry because of that, but luckily I got my... Own, my only school friend into the class with me so it was be- a bit better and they used to keep calling us furries and emos and depressed because I would cry at school because I hated my school experience but I'm ready to move past that now and focus on the future. Do you think that's a big issue for young people then? Yeah, because people making jokes about serious mental illnesses like depression and so on. And I think it's really disgusting because my friend's mum, I'm not naming who the friend is because like it's their um it's their relative and if they want to talk about it they can. Um their mum has depression and the mum was suffering because of that and and my friend had heard um, people joking about it, and he pre- he was really upset. He he ha- he poured it all out. He snapped, and and I don't want him going through more experiences like that. And it just hurt to see him like that. He was so upset. Did he get any support from adults then? Yeah, he's getting some su- support. 
Mm. Next up, we've got Abigail interviewing Joanna. Right, so what do you think is a big problem? Um, I think a big problem in this world is um, prejudice and hatred mm. towards people. Yeah, like and racism. Like intolerance and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Of people who are different. Yeah. I think ableism and racism and homophobia are the biggest ones because, you know, with homophobia, um, the older generations don't really understand it and they use the excuse um, it just wasn't a thing back in our time, although they've had, like, 20 years to start understanding the concept and things like that. And I just... I don't see why that is a problem. Yeah, love is love. Mm. No matter who you love. If you love the same gender, different gender, any anyone, you can love anyone as long as, like, you know, like, as long as they're not, like, I, I don't know. If, it's hard if they to just seem right, then yeah. it's the right one. Eventually, you will find the right person. I have a friend who just straight up gave up on love because they broke up with someone. Mm. And you should keep searching. No matter how many times you get knocked down, you will get back up. Honestly, I think relationships are, like, really outdated concepts. Like, not mm. everyone needs romantic, you know, mm. lives. Yeah. Some people can, like, live with friends platonically and hug their friends platonically. Like, if you have a friend of an opposite gender and you hug them, everyone automatically assumes you're together, mm. which is just... It's kind of sick, really, because... Yeah. We should be able to hug our friends without worrying about what people think. Yeah, you can hold hands with a friend. Like, if you have a really, really close friend, you can even kiss them. Exactly. Like, that's not a problem, it's <laughs> affection. Yeah. And, you know, even when I say I love you to my friends, because obviously they're my friends, I do love them. Yeah, you can love someone as a friend, you can yeah. love someone's parents. There are different types of love, and people who think just because you hugged a friend, you're together, need to get that in their heads. Mm. Next up is an interview between Henry and Mustafa. What do young people get up to nowadays? Um, well... Usually, back in the 1900s, I should say, not that old, but you know, <laughs> but oh, I should say 2000s, I'm the nice guy. You know, everyone used to go out, knock each other's doors, hey buddy, you wanna go out? You know, they'd go out, they'd have fun in the park, <laughs> maybe visit a local town, sweets, ice cream, I don't know. Nowadays, it's all done digitally, you know what I mean? Online gaming, social media. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, online games, social media. Um, they use this thing called. <laughs> they use this thing called Amigo. <laughs> yeah. What do you do on Amigo? Um, <laughs> um, basically, Amigo is a friendly. Um, <laughs> it's a friendly app uh, slash uh, website where you can communicate with random strangers all across the world. It was very safe and monitored 24-7, <laughs> making it a secure environment for your young person. Oh, that's good for the young people. Let's um, yeah. talk to uh, Yeah, it uh, develops their social communication skills. You know, it builds a, <laughs> builds a confidence app. Like I said, it's a very safe environment, bro. Like, you're not going to get any harassment. To follow this up, we've got Mustafa interviewing Henry. Uh, Henry Potter, I'm 17, I live in Porchester. Right, so Henry Potter, 17. 
Okay, tell me what you do in your spare time. Yeah, I play on my uh, computer a lot. I don't really play on console. Oh, what's a computer? Oh, it's a device that a lot of young younglings are using. <laughs> a device, can you hold it? I use it for all types of stuff. That's Recently, there's been a shift from consoles, like the Xbox and PlayStation, oh, really? to computers. Wow. I know. So, what's your preferred platform? Uh, console or PC? Uh, used to play a lot of console, but now I've moved to PC. Oh, what consoles did you play? I played the uh, PS3 and the Xbox oh. One. Were they good for you? Yeah, they were great. There was yeah, a lot of friends uh, on Yeah. To tell you about more about your PC experience, like, what do you, apart from video games, what else do you do on them? Uh, I watch a lot of YouTube, actually. Oh, on YouTube? There. That's my primary. What's, what YouTubes do you watch? That's interesting. <laughs> Like, like back then, I used to watch, um, what's his name, Logan Paul, back in like 2013. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Jake Paul person. Oh, like, Jake yeah. Paul, oh. His videos were quite entertaining. And, uh, um, just okay, an what, what videos do you play on your PC? I play um, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege. Wow, elaborate that, please. What's the age rating of that? Uh, so the age rating is about like 10 years old, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite family friendly, really. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. It teaches a lot of core values that all children should core learn. Core values, that's very important nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the thing about a console was, uh, especially in like the Xbox 360 era back in yeah. oh, 2000, old, old. 2010, yeah. there was a lot of bullying, you know, really? on bullying? games like Call of Duty. What's, what's Call of Duty? Call of Duty is a shooting game where you shoot each other. Oh. But if people would uh, scream down the mic at little 10-year-old me. Really? Have you experienced that before? Yeah, I'd cry. Well, every... what did you do to resolve this issue? <laughs> I didn't. I just cry myself to sleep every night. Oh. But on the newer consoles, they have quite a, lot of, uh, quite a lot of things in place to prevent bullying. This next interview features Dami Lola interviewing Shani. Hi, Shani. Hi. Okay, so icebreaker question, most important one. Do you put milk first or cereal? You put cereal first. You always put cereal. No, yeah, milk. you put the milk first. You put the milk and then you warm it in the microwave. No, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then you eat the cereal. Because why would you have cold milk? Why would you have cold cereal? Personally, I think cereal is a like a cold morning. No, it's not. Yeah, my teeth are so sensitive. It'll hurt so bad. You do not warm up milk for cereal. Nah. And if you put the cereal in first and yeah. then put the milk in, you can measure how much milk you need because if you warm the milk... But, but you could do the same thing with yeah. when you put the milk first. <laughs> you have to put more cereal than you want to eat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll let you get away with that one. <laughs> so I heard you're a ballet dancer. Yes, I am a ballet dancer, actually. Okay, and can you tell us where you go to? Or So I do my ballet dance classes at Mandalay Dance School, oh. and it's in Fairroom. Yeah. And uh, can you talk us through why you started ballet? What inspired you to so, do this? So um, my inspiration has always been Anna Pavlova. I think... Well, this bit of backstory first. When I was really young, so I think from like three to six, I danced anyway. And then I stopped because I started like infant school and I just didn't have time because the ballet was on a school day, like at 10 a.m., like on a Monday at 10 a.m. So I couldn't really turn up to that. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, yeah, so when I was like 11, I 
always thought I'd want to go back to dance so I ended up taking a book out of the school library about this dancer a Russian ballet dancer called Anna Pavlova and um, I really really looked up to her after reading this book because she came from like a poorer background and she worked really really hard and she became a famous Russian ballerina and I was like well she can do it I can do it too so I've heard that uh, ballet ballet dancers it takes like a lot of strength a lot of practice, a lot of hard work. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so a lot of people just think ballet is like a floating around dance. Well, it's a graceful dance. It's not just floating around. And it's a very, very hard type of dance. You need a lot of core strength and really, really strong legs. Especially, it's really hard on your feet. Um, point shoes. In When you wear a point shoe, there's actually a block of wood in the point shoe. Oh. And um, if you don't wear, like, gel toe pads and everything, my friend, um, who I dance with, um, her name's Nia, she was showing me how she hurt her toe and her point shoe, because she'd been doing a lot of point that day, um, her toe had started to bleed and it was really, really painful. Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> no, I've seen pictures of ballet dancers' feet, but I was just like, I don't think that hard about it. No, I know. if the injury's bad, it dancing... It's always going to be fun for me, and pain is only temporary. Yeah. But the fantasy of being in the stage, on the stage with a massive tutu and a tiara and a really tight slick back bun, which is a pain to take out, but. <laughs> this next interview is between Dami Lola and Angola. First icebreaker question What do you prefer, cats or dogs? I prefer cats. Oh, can I ask why do you prefer cats? Um, yeah. Um, I had this babysitter when I was younger. Um, she she owned a lot of cats. And I was holding one. And... You just fell in love with it. Well, didn't fall in love with it, but um, I enjoyed carrying it. Yeah. Oh, that sounds nice then. Okay, now, um, I heard that you started a gem business. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah. Um, I'm not starting it, but I'm going to. I'm basically, I'm basically going to be design. I mean, decorating things with it. Clothes, jackets. Now, do you have any inspirations? Like, what do you aspire to be? Or who inspires you? Who's your role model? Now that you've said that, I don't actually know. Oh, don't worry, I don't really know what I want to be when I grow up to. It's like, life has so many opportunities. <laughs> uh, so, what do you like? What are your hobbies? Um, taking pictures. Mm. And um, even when I'm playing games as well, I take a picture of that. Uh, what games do you play? I play Roblox. Oh, I love that game. <laughs> I play it all the time. <laughs> uh, so do you have a favourite singer? Uh, yeah. Song? Yeah, my favourite singer is Wizkid. Oh, I love him. I love his song, Jorah. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Do you have a favourite song by him? I think um, Essence. Oh, that one's good. Yeah. Thames. Oh, that's yeah. good. In this next interview, Omlari interviews Tommy. Um, today we've got a special guest here and I'm going to let her introduce herself. So, Hello, it's Tommy Ayame and I am 11 years old and I live in Portsmouth. Okay. Um, so, what do you like to do in your spare time, Tommy? 
Um, I actually like to draw, read, and dance. Okay. Um, seeing as you like to read, who would you say was your favourite author? Um, definitely Rachel Renee Russell. I just like the type of books she makes. I just they're really powerful. The words are quite strong. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, leading on to your, our next question, um, what's your favourite book? Dog Diaries. Okay. <laughs> I kind of guessed that because yeah, Rachel, that's the yeah. book she makes. Um, okay, what would you say was your favorite subject? Um, probably art in English. Okay, they, I feel like they're really motivating. Like, oh, yeah. they like because in, for example, math, you have to do one thing. You have to stick with that thing. But in English, you can really do anything, and yeah. so is art. Just do what your mind tells you to do. Yeah, I like that. What's your favourite, um, well, what's your style of drawing then? Um, realistic. I'm not very good at it at the moment, but I'm kind of progressing okay. every step. We so. like to see progress. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, what is it like to be young today? It's actually great, but there are like, maybe a few things that isn't so great, maybe... I don't know, because maybe you go out somewhere and some people are making fun of maybe you're small or you're, like, really young and they're like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, telling you what to do, and that's one thing I don't like. But everything else is pretty good. You get to live longer than older people, but you never know. Um, Thank you for coming on to my podcast. Oh, that's absolutely fine. Um, Hopefully see you soon. Okay, thank you. Bye. And now, Tommy interviewing Omlari. Hello, it's Tommy Ayemi and we're back with another podcast. Today we have a special guest and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hello, my name is Omlari Akinpelu. I am 12 years old um, and I live in Leon Solon. What do you do in your spare time? <clears throat> well, I do a series of things. I do athletics, um, I do dance, I do people's acrylic nails, like fake nails, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's basically it. Alright, what is your favourite author? Um, hmm, that is like a tricky question. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, Jacqueline Wilson. Um, even though I'm 12 years old and it's, her books are more aimed at like 10, 11 years. Yeah, like younger ones. I, like, I don't know. There's just I, something about yeah. her that's like, yeah. Yeah. Alright, leading on to our next question, what is your favourite book? Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, I would say Love, Frankie. It's by Jacqueline Wilson. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> and it's one of her newest books, so, yeah. Okay. So, the next question is, what is your favourite subject? At school? Anywhere, it could be any subject. Okay. Um, okay, I like drama, English, um, dance, and um, PE. Alright, so what's your favourite part about athletics? Um, I love the thrill of adrenaline after you've ran and like. You just feel like 
it's days and I just it feels so nice and I also love the feeling when you beat your personal best um a personal best is a time like that you beat for any say yeah all right a couple more questions what type of dance do you like do you like hip-hop freestyle street dance um I do use like a mixture of all of those like um well I don't like it's mostly um based on hip-hop like yeah um I go to sessions every Friday and yeah mostly it's there to have fun but also um hopefully at the end of the season that finishes I will join a team and yeah amazing so next one last question what's it like to be young today um it's pretty great to be honest like well like our society has like modernized a lot like normally like we have electronics like phones and stuff and that's what we mostly use as our like the main thing as entertainment um yeah but like yeah i like being young yeah all right thank you for answering these questions they were amazing answers and we will see you in our next podcast okay thank you bye this next chat is between Aston and Matthew. Uh, Matthew Mould, 16, and I live in the Eastleigh. Who do you think is going to win Formula 1? Um, I think right now it's definitely going to be Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari because I think he's got the quickest car at the moment and he's really confident and calm yeah. for the season. But I think if I'm thinking long term, I feel like Maybe Mercedes could try and bring that car back up. To, Hamilton. Yeah, and Hamilton can try and get the points back and try and reduce the gap. And uh, maybe, just maybe, maybe in the last race he can win the champ can win the championship again. Um, what did you think about the crashes that were happening? Well, lo- well, last week. Yeah. I feel like it's there was a lot of crashes last week, and I think yeah. it showed that some cars are still unreliable. Or that the drivers aren't really yeah. the right fit for the teams, or maybe it's just the car. They're just not really comfortable. How bad do you think they are? Well, the drivers? No, the crashes. The, oh, the, oh, they're... Well, it depends on the crash, really, because you can have... It could be just a tyre coming off, or maybe like a big shunt in the wall. So it all depends. Um, what did you think about the wheel going over Lewis Hamilton's car? The wheel, there was no wheel, I don't remember a wheel going over. Oh, what, last season? Yeah. I'm not going to lie, that was a bit scary for him because it, cause that wheel was literally over his helmet and that he got a bit of, and his neck got a bit hurt from it and it took him a while to recover from it. I was a bit scared because if, you know, the bit around the car, yeah, that helped protect the driver. If that bit wasn't there, his head would have been taken off. I think his head would have been hurt. Did you think if that weren't there, he wouldn't be driving? And do you think he'd I don't be think paralyzed? he'd. Be, I, I want to say paralyzed. I think he just wouldn't be able to drive again. I don't think he'd be driving today. Do you think that's his dream career? Do I think that was his dream? I think it was because he t- he talked about this so many times that when he was like five years old, he was always he was really starting go karts and like 
fascinated in cars. Yeah, and pretty much fascinated. And he just pretty much told to everyone, I'm going to be a Formula 1 driver and be a world champion. That's what he's done. He's done it seven times. What's your fam- What's your favourite car? Not liking Formula 1 in... Oh, my favourite car, probably... Um, uh, what I thought? Probably a, a GTR, Nissan GTR. Yeah. I really... Uh, yeah, don't blame me. <laughs> favourite fast car. Where have you ever been to any car races? Oh, have I ever been to what? No, but I have been to like car. Tra- I've been to like race tracks. Uh, I've been to Silverstone, the British yeah. Grand Prix. But I've never actually seen went to see a proper race. But would that, it be your dream to go? I would. I would definitely love to go to one in the next few years because I really want to see. I want to see Lewis Hamilton race. It doesn't matter if he's winning or not. I just want to see him. Put, like yeah. And what do you think of like Lewis Hamilton? Um, he's not getting knighted. Getting knighted? I think it's. I think he deserves it really because not only just because he was does on track, but also what he does off track, like with yeah. his whole what he does as a person, and he really has made a name for himself not just in sport but in the world because people he's known around the whole world. Would you think? That um, if he hosted an event um, for pe- anybody to go, and there's no limit, like on the streets of Portsmouth or wherever, would you go? Well, that's right. So if he hosted an event like in Portsmouth or something, Ooh. and anyone could go for free, would you go? What if he hosted an event here? Yeah, I would. Oh, I would definitely try and go, but think about how big Lewis Hamilton is. If it's, if it's a free, if they're free tickets, it's gonna be it's gonna get pretty busy straight away. Think about how big that like how big he is in the world. And what I was gonna say is, if he was here, mm. would you? And you knew the day before, like just you? Would you um, camp there to get the there. first ticket? Um, I camp there to get to the, probably because obviously I grew up watching Lewis Hamilton all my life. I would love, I would love one day to try and meet to get to meet him. And it's just uh, he's just my. What would you want to be when you're older? What do I want to be? Oh, it's well. You would say like an F1 driver, but. I really I didn't really get into F one until I was like six or seven. And I didn't really and but if, what do I want to do when I'm older? I want to probably like go into more acting, you know, like being like like big shows and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, because my dream job probably be would have been an F one driver because I just want to yeah. you know I want to see how fast you can really go in that car. This next interview features Tia interviewing. Aston. Motivate workshops and I go to cadets. What do you enjoy about cadets? I enjoy um, doing rifle drills, so like when we're on parade. Um, what's your favourite film? My favourite film is probably The Kingsman. Yeah. One and two. Yeah. How often do you go to the beach? 
I come every day for two weeks in yeah. Easter. What do you think about social media? It's really good. Yeah. Because you can talk to your mates and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, what is different for you now compared to when your when your parents were like your age? When they were growing growing up, the adults were more disciplined, and they used to hurt you when you were annoyed. But now you just get told off family instead of them making contact with you. Yeah. Um, what do you think it's like growing up today? Today, uh, growing up today is really good because um, you ha- have so many opportunities to do. Yeah. What do you want to do when you're older? I want to join the army or the reserves. Here's Jack interviewing Ollie. Right, if you're, if you're a bird, what bird would you be? Uh, toucan. Why? Love tropical places. Anything else? Saw so toucan eat a banana. It's really cool. I'm gonna be toucan. If you could go on holiday anywhere, where would it be and why? Norway to see the northern lights. Anything else? Like snow. Mm. If you could go anywhere in the UK, where would it be and why? Cardiff. Why? Because I like Doctor Who. Um, and they have a torchwood that is a series that links with Doctor Who that was filmed there and they have loads of monuments there that link with torchwood. Got, if you were stuck on a desert island and you only had ten things, what would they do? Um, alcohol for not drinking. Okay. <laughs> um, wounds and a fire. Uh, flint and steel, matchbox, um, an axe, make that two bottles of alcohol, uh, I would bring my face, I'll bring my favourite food in the world. Would you bring anyone else? Um, I would bring... Your brother so you can eat him? Brother, yeah. Mm. Um, I would bring... Coffee? Coffee maybe? Is that it? Um, one more thing, I'll bring... A chainsaw. And the final interview between the youngsters is Aston interviewing Tia. My name's Tia. Um, I'm 16 and I live in Paul's Grove. Right, Tia, what do you enjoy in your spare time? Um, doing army cadets and singing. How often do you go to the beach? Um, not that often. What's your favourite food? Pizza. What's your favourite film? Uh, Disney films. How often do you get away with cheeky stuff? Uh, not that often. What's different compared to now to when your parents grew up? 
Um, the social media is the big thing because, like, now on social media it's more easier to get, like, bullied and everything, whereas when you were back in, like, when my parents were growing up, it was, like, you didn't have that many ways of getting bullied. Yeah. Um, what is your thoughts on social media? I think it's easier to, like, hurt people and get bullied even more because, like, if that wasn't there, then a lot of people wouldn't get bullied that much because most people are now hiding behind phones instead of doing it face-to-face. Can you tell me what you like? What's it like being young today? Yeah, it's quite hard because, like... You have a load of pressure from the social media, like with girls, main with girls most of the time. It's under pressure with like all the models and everything. Most girls don't realise like online it's Photoshop, and it makes them like feel very self-conscious and everything. Thank you for the interview today. Let's go. Following these interviews, the young people then moved on to discussion with some elderly members of the community. Here are some excerpts of their conversations with Mary, Maureen, Richard, Michael and Susan. They began with discussion of the Falklands War. I have lived in Portsmouth all my life, all my family live here. But part of, part, most part of my family are passed away now. It's only me and my sister sort of going but yes um I know I got told before <clears throat> before my mum died that I lost an uncle uh, two uncles in the Falklands but I never saw them they, they died before I was born but that's all I can remember I can remember a lot of the ships being blown up and because I worked in the dockyard for 40 years yeah, I was um, the cleaning supervisor. Well, I can rem- remember the controversy surrounding the war. But I, um, I wasn't particularly interested in politics, um, so I didn't follow things very much or very precisely. I can remember the Belgrano... Uh, Incident which set it all off. Um, but obviously, I, I wasn't out there, I was at home watching it on the telly, as most people were. I discovered afterwards, uh, when my father told me the story of how he had helped them, that a boy I had grown up with in Bournemouth, you know, who went into the Royal Navy, was an officer on one of the ships that was sunk. He was on the bridge, came off duty. The Exocet missile hit the bridge of the ship. I believe it was. I believe it was a frigate, but I'm not sure. It was not the Sheffield. That I do know, but I can't remember which ship it actually was. And the officer who took over from him was killed. It absolutely devastated, friend. He went back home to Bournemouth to visit his mother, who 
immediately called my father because the young man's father was already dead. She immediately called my father, whom he knew as Uncle Bill, so they remained friends, you know. And um, he went and talked to him, and he told me afterwards, I did not expect to be doing that again after the end of the Second World War, because obviously he had to talk to devastated RAF personnel. Oh, I mean, there was so little coming out of the British media, but the French were publishing any of the Argentinian news reports. And so in, I remember on Easter Sunday, sitting there in reading a copy of, in a cafe of Paris Match, which had pictures of the British surrender, the governor surrendering to the Argentine um, um, commander, which certainly those photos weren't around in the UK at that point. Um, and one night, I remember, there was an interview, there was an interview on a sort of late night news programme in France, and there were... There was just after the Exocet missile had 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 had, 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 had hit um, Sheffield, was wasn't it? Um, um, it's really good to see uh, French missiles in in a battle situation, combat situation. Which, and there was a discussion about this and that in a way that you would never have got in Britain because there was no emotional baggage attached, sensitivity attached really. Um, so yeah, it was a very strange experience and I remember when I came back, because I came back in the May end of May and neighbour saying isn't it a shame the war isn't finished by the time he gets home. So, you know, that, that, that's what I was, that's the sort of stuff I was aware of particularly. Portsmouth changed an awful lot. Mm. Yes, yeah, I said I was born here all my life, all my family have lived here. But I could, it was because um, when we used to come out, we used to come out with the old brigade. Port when I worked night times, we worked nights. And Portsmouth has changed an awful lot. Especially right down where Gunwolf, it was all old cafes, dirty old cafes. They used to use it for drugs, drug addicts, um, you name it, they used it. And it was a dirty place. But they found a man dead, didn't they? in one of the toilets down there. Yeah, I was told that, yeah. The other person I knew who was in the war was one of our scouts round at the 8th Portsmouth. And he became a commando. He he yomped across the Falklands with 4-5 commando and actually celebrated his 18th birthday in the trenches. His mother had to sign the paperwork because he was under 18 to allow him to go and fight in the Falklands. And he eventually was guarding prisoners of war, young Argentinians. He opened his wallet to talk to a comrade and suddenly he had his scout badge, the world badge, the purple badge with the white fleur-de-lis on it. He opened his wallet in which that was sitting and a voice came from the other side of the barbed wire me scout next minute he was had a gathering of scouts all saying me scout me scout we did a bit of badge swapping to put it elegantly some of them ended up with guy badges because the scout leader brought out the entire stock of the scout shop, so I went to the guide shop and got the entire stop of Hampshire County badges, and um, 
Well, my share I gave to my son to put onto his campfire blanket. <laughs> but it, as somebody I knew in the Red Cross who was a retired major said, it just shows how bloody stupid war is. It's cast a long shadow, I, I think. I think, and it's, it's a war that, in a way, people have forgotten. Well, I was so I was twenty-two. I was the age of many of the people who were involved. So, I from you know it, it felt sort of has felt live, but. Um, I'm also aware of the long-term effect of post-traumatic stress and that sort of thing that's come out. Uh, they, the long, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that sort of stuff as a, as, a, as a consequence of it, and also the the ongoing British presence in the South Atlantic. Um, also, I mean, we had a we had a um, someone, a student who was wanting to be an archivist who was over from the Falkland Islands. Um, for work experience sort of recently and so through her I have that perspective on on how it is for them and and the way actually the way that story plays into their sense of national identity which is really interesting Following this they moved on to chat about the Queen's Jubilee Here is some of that conversation We had a lot of street parties because yeah. where I lived in Powerscourt Road, it was one big, like one big main, one big road, and all the side roads were all decorated, all the flags and everything. Then a fire station at the end, and the people that couldn't have a part for the party, they done it for the children. Yeah, it was a happy, yeah, that one was. Are you assuming that I'm a royalist? <laughs> I am, actually. I'm just teasing. Uh, well, it, <coughs> it symbolises the uh, pomp and circumstance of, of English culture. <coughs> um, again, some of it was controversial. People were, were not prepared, having just come out of a war, to uh, spend lots of money on uh, on the coronation. Well, don't forget, I can remember the coronation. <laughs> it poured with rain all day. Mm-hmm. And we did not have a television, but we listened to it on the radio, the service on the radio. And then in the evening, we went down to Bournemouth Seafront and watched an absolutely magnificent firework display. My cousin actually went to London. She was running our brownie pack, and she actually went to London with several of her friends, wore her guide uniform, which promptly shrank in all the rain. And I can remember the gardens of the houses near us being decorated... We did not have a street party. One just did not do that sort of thing in Bournemouth. And I can remember that we were given a mug with a picture of Queen Elizabeth on it and in the mug was a bar of cabbage chocolate. I had that mug right up until the time I left my home here in Southsea. I bought it to Portsmouth with me and sadly, I did not manage to salvage it when the house was sold. It was all done so quickly. I lost a lot of my things, including my library. Oh, everybody gets together 
Everybody's happy. And um, not, we have lots of fun. <laughs> And finally, let's hear from the artists that are going to be making some fantastic pieces of work from these very interviews that you just heard. Lauren, Tony, Rachel, Michael and Ashley are some of the artists that will have residencies at the art space Portsmouth. Here is a taste of what they will be creating. Uh, my name is Ashley, Ashley John. Oh, I kind of, at the minute, there's two, uh, like, different strands to it. So I make collages out of, um, like, found papers and textures, stuff like that. Uh, and then I also uh, write and draw text pieces. So it's kind of like poems, uh, but I fly post them. Um, so, yeah, that's what I make at the minute. Um, so I might try and write some new uh, poems from uh like using extracts from the audio interviews because i haven't haven't actually heard the audio interviews yet um obviously from the younger people and the and the older people uh so yeah i'm excited to listen to those going to spend a little bit of time listening to them uh dissecting them and then i'm going to try and make something from those i might try and reuse some of the words or sentences from those uh so my name's lauren fry yeah so um, i have a full-time job art is kind of my hobby on the side uh, I trained as an art teacher. Now I work for a children's charity. Uh, most of my practice is running youth art projects, uh, quite a lot to do with social history um, and developing kids' creativity, less so about my own practice. So for the residency at Artspace Portsmouth, I am looking at whether I can predict how people look from their voices which dates back to an idea originated by uh, Jacques Penry, who believed that you could predict someone's character based on their face. He thought that you could get rid of the bad people from society just based on what they looked like. So I'm kind of flipping that. And so I'm using the audio recordings to see if I can create accurate portraits of those people. So I began as a photographer um, working within sort of like um, various commercial and kind of creative industries, taking on commissions for different clients. And over the years, it's developed into be more mixed media based, working with different processes and different materials. So I now include sort of sculpture as one of my uh, main areas that I work in. Um, and yeah, so what I do is I take I take um, the work that I make is really um, looking at how we as humans uh, have an impact on our uh, environment, but as well as how the landscapes that we kind of function in, how they influence us as individuals. So I combine those two things and I look at um, topical and prescient subjects and I use different creative processes to... Um, as a dialogue into into these subjects, using art as a, I guess, using art as a as a vehicle to talk about some of the some of the societal and environmental challenges that we face today. So I had my residency over the last couple of weeks, so I've just finished mine, and I began it with. I started off how I start a lot of my projects, which is 
on our conceptual walk. Um, and during that time, I get to know the area that I'm working in, get to know a little bit more about the, the environment that I'm in. And during that time, I was listening to the, um, the audio recorded archives um, that were that were young people interviewing each other as well as elderly people interviewing each other. And the young people are, I was particularly interested in that, um, the young people interviewing each other because they're talking about um, what it's like to be young in today's uh, society. And so during my uh, conceptual walk, I was listening to these interviews and, and um, developing ideas and, um, just really kind of formulating, you know, formulating a structure behind what I was going to make. And there was one, there was one particular, um, it was a question that came up um, between two young people. And the question was, um, how do you find the real world? Um, now, I sort of became really interested in this question and, and became interested in quite a bit, almost like a statement, I think, about how young people must be um, thinking, really, because the, the question came out of um, these these people talking. It came out of they had been talking about gaming, and I almost felt like they were um, separate. You know, there were there, there was there was the beginnings of a conversation was about really there's there's two worlds that are existing. There's this gaming world, this kind of um, CGI um, infrastructure where you have different rules to the normal world. So I used this statement, um, how do you find the real world? I used that as the basis of making some work during my, during my residency at Artspace Portsmouth. Well, um, I, I make uh, work using textiles mainly. So uh, I weave, I stitch, um and for this particular project i'm going to kind of follow up on that i'm thinking about sort of ways of using text with textiles because there's a sort of connection there which i think is really interesting to explore yeah well what i've i've been listening to the oral history from the older people and the younger people it's just been really interesting it's just been really good to hear it and just trying to find some themes that come out of it that cross over with both generations um and there are quite a few really you know sort of conflicts to do with you know things that are meaningful in life and anyway so I'm going to try and pick some sort of um bits of that out and then as I say translate that using recycled cloth and clothing to make banner like objects so I think that's one of the first things I'm going to explore is how because clothing and cloth has so much identity just thinking about those kind of ideas of language and material um but then actually just simply what happens if you take the word um oh i don't know uh sorry I'm rambling here uh i like being young so that's just one i've listened to recently you know and then you turn that into kind of cloth what happens then you know visually so i suppose it's like that you know it's just thinking about working between words and uh, different media Okay, so I'm a visual artist and my practice is based at the Yard Studios in Winchester in Hampshire. And I work in the mediums of sculpture, sound installation, and recently this year I've been using the method of Japanese woodblock printmaking, which is mokahanga, uh, to transfer my sculptural ideas to 2D print. 
So through these different mediums, I'm exploring abstraction, and by using forms of geometry, so you can see like behind me, there's a couple of geometrical forms um, that I'm working on. And, and to, to understand the process of human development and transformation, so I use um, geometry, but I also use themes such as alchemy in relationship to um, psychoanalyst Carl Jung. Um, and the sound that I use within my work, I trained as a sound therapist, so I'm really interested in how our brain receives um, sound and it can slow our brain waves down to like a meditative and relaxing state. So I feel that if somebody's um, viewing my work in a gallery, for example, like viewing the sculptural installations, that by working with sound, I can sort of also relax people's brainwave patterns so they're more sort of um, receptive to creativity, emotional connection, intuition, etc. Um, so these sort of brainwave patterns, you can find out about them. They're kind of alpha, which is 6 to 12 hertz, or theta, which is 4 to 8 hertz, which is a quite a slow brainwave pattern. Um, for the residency, I'm creating an interactive sound installation. And this includes some of the oral recordings that were created last year for the um, Your Voice 2 project part one, um, that were interviews that the young people interviewed each other and some other elderly members of the community. And also I'll be um, recording sounds of old Portsmouth. And I've actually been out with the young people on Tuesday, the young people from Motivate, for, um, I ran a workshop and we recorded sounds of Old Portsmouth using some of the um, sort of high-end equipment like MixPre 3 and Zoom H5 and used omnidirectional microphones, um, used hydrophonic microphones to capture the waves and underwater sounds. Um, contact mics for putting on objects like fences and buildings like around the round tower. Um, so taking these sounds and they'll be encased within geometrical sculptures. So that's kind of what you can see in the background, the start of that development. Um, and they'll be made from mainly from recycled materials such as um, pallet wood. Um, and I'll be using electronic um, circuitry to make the, the sounds that are encased more interactive to the public so when people come to the show they'll be able to move around the space and they'll also be able to interact with the sounds and, and the work. So I'll be working with the young people again next week to decide on how, the, how this kind of works, how the, kind of the exhibition works, where the sounds are going to be located, where the, where the sculptures are going to be located in the exhibition space. Um, and then we've got a show on Friday the 18th of November from 4.30 to 6.30 in Artspace Portsmouth and this is free to the public uh, so local residents, anyone can come along and see and hear the show there'll be refreshments provided as well. Uh, my name's Tom Bolton. I'm a typographic designer and artist who specialises in uh, the craft of printing with letterpress so that's movable, traditional, 200-year-old type. I'm going to be setting up a small version of my letterpress print workshop and for the two weeks I will be experimenting, playing around with ink and printing a variety of things. So yeah, I'll be using the oral recordings that I've been provided um, and basically just literally picking out phrases I like, words I like, kind of colliding them together somehow um, and trying to make an overall picture effectively through typography.
I have been James Court, and we hope that you have enjoyed this podcast, brought to you by the charity Motivate and the collaborative arts organisation Project Caboodle. Thanks to the National Lottery Players, this podcast has been made possible with a grant from Heritage Lottery Fund and Arts Council England.